0: So Money Episode 731 Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Allison Task
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers and from Farnoosh herself
0: Money. Welcome back, everybody. It's Friday. My husband is in Las Vegas today on a bachelor party. Tim, I hope you're having a good time. And whatever happens in Vegas, you will tell me everything when you get back to Brooklyn. I will make you. But no, I, uh, it's nice to um, you know be allowed to leave once in a while from the home front. And my husband deserves this more than anybody. He uh, has been uh, holding down the fort for the past <laughs> three and a half years since we started having kids and I know I'm the one who's always out and about and it's uh, it's it makes me happy to know that he is out having fun and uh, my mom is going to visit this weekend and for the rest of the week so kids are looking forward to having their Mimi in town. If you've been listening to the show this week, it was a pretty spectacular week of episodes if I may brag. I mean, starting with Gabby Dunn on Monday, she's the host of Bad With Money which is the complete opposite of So Money. You know, she's a self-described wreck when it comes to her personal finances. So she explores money through that lens. Really interesting conversation there about just how she uh, grew up kind of uh, middle class and went to a very rich school, a private school and uh, the bat mitzvah that forever (laughs) indebted her parents. Anyway, listen to that if you haven't caught it. And then of course, Savannah Sellers on the 16th, who is the host of a very popular NBC program that airs on Snapchat. Did you know that you can actually watch TV on Snapchat? Maybe you did. Probably you did. I didn't because I'm that that old. I think it gets something like 25 million views. Today we have a very special co-host who is a friend of – mine but also a friend of the podcast if you recall way back on episode 352 we had Allison Task who is a life coach and career coach and she and I go all the way back to our days working at Yahoo where she hosted a cooking show and I hosted a financial show fast forward to today she has a robust coaching practice and excited to say and share that she is the newly minted best-selling author of the book, Personal Revolution. It's number one on Amazon right now in many categories. So first of all, Allison, welcome to the show and congratulations.
1: Thank you so much, Farnoosh. I have to I have to give you props right back. You helped me name the book. You helped me with my subheading. I was uh, crowdsourcing it a couple of months ago. You jumped right in with, you You, you got to think about this, this, and this, and it, it may just have made all the difference.
0: Oh, well, look, I, it came from a place of love. I so adore <laughs> you. I, I, I admire you. And I was so excited to know that you were uh, going to do this book. You've written many books and that this was a, a project that you wanted to completely take the lead on as a self-published author which I again have to give you a lot of props for not only because you finished it that's a, <laughs> it's a big <laughs> undertaking you assembled the team you finished it but you you skyrocketed to number 1 on Amazon really brief because you don't have so much time but I'm too curious I can't not ask you this question what were some of the advantages to self-publishing and how did you master the Amazon the craziness that is Amazon to get to the number <laughs> 1 ranking there
1: Okay, so advantages of self-publishing and then mastering Amazon. Well, Dara- Dara In five seconds. Strike me and not, (laughs) I don't want to say I master. um, So the advantages to self-publishing is uh, this is my third and a half book. Um, I have published books for other people. So this is the third book on my own name, probably my sixth book. During some of those books, I had strong feelings of, oh, I just wish we could do this. And I would get outvoted by other people who had more expertise and had published more. This was my book. I get to have the final call and some of those final calls I made feel really good. You, you were mentioning, you love the way the book feels, you love the interior, you love the cover, right? Those, those were my calls. Um, so it's exciting to move into that, uh, taking more ownership role when you self publish, I I had learned and I was able to execute. So that was exciting. As for Amazon, I hired a partner. I hired, um, the wonderful team from book in a box. Um, they are rolling out a new PR, you know, just if you've self published with another company or on your own, they will help you with PR. I'm one of their, uh, first just PR clients. The team is killing it. Um, they told me what I needed to do. And quite frankly, they sent me a spreadsheet and they said, figure out who you know who'd be interested in buying buying the book and i spent a couple of months putting together my list of of advocates which by the way is in my book in terms of identifying your network and expanding your network so in a real sort of circle jerk sort of way i was taking my own advice for my own book to help it succeed um so there you go
0: book in a box i know that's uh, i've heard them before yep. and i'm happy to know that they're doing good work now your coaching practice why did you want to write a book at this point anyway
1: Well, that's a super question. So I've been coaching for 12 years. um, And at this point, um, because I've been coaching for a while, my price point has gone up and up. And I've seen people come to me and say, you're really awesome. I wish I could work with you. I just can't, right? And I don't want to, I want to encourage them to be financially responsible. So I wanted to give people another option, right? I wanted to give the people who wanted coaching and, and resonated with me an opportunity to have a virtual coaching experience. So after 12 years, I started to see what was really working for my clients, what helped them move off the mark, what helped them make significant changes. And I wanted to codify that in a book, um, so that you could almost, you know, if I was to see a client for a three month coaching engagement, use this book, like you're seeing a coach. In fact, at every chapter, the end of every chapter, I have a prep sheet before you can go on to the next both chapter complete these actions you committed to taking, so I wanted to provide that coaching experience, both the tools and the accountability that I offer in my in my office at at a more accessible price point that 's smart that 's really smart and
0: now, I have to ask you about time maximization because you 're a mom of sure. four you run this coaching practice, and I do think you do get sleep. I think that 's what you 're rested some nights, some days and I know you outsource a lot. So like, don't tell me you outsource for this answer. Cause we know that's <laughs> an, a given. What is something that you do to help you get everything done? Especially this book, was an add on to your already busy life. Yeah. So yeah. how did you, what was like one thing that you did to make
1: sure that more or less that everything got done? Everything got done. Um, well, one really important thing happened. I started thinking about the book in August and then I committed to writing it in September, October, and it's now May and it's out, right? So that's a pretty short time frame By self-publishing standards, I took forever, but I needed the book to be right. So I took the time it needed. In July, my husband took a different job. He stopped, he gave up his you know daily commute to New York City, and this is all in the book, by the way, for a once a month commute to LA. But he now- is local. He has. We both have offices about a mile from our home, right? Because you gotta get out of the house to work if you've got babies, but he, now that he is home, is able to do the morning shift. I do the afternoon shift, because our kids are in school from nine to three. He does every morning. He takes them to school. He does breakfast. I get up, seven, I'm at my desk at 7.15. I come home and do the three to five, or the three to six shift, then he puts the kids to bed at night. We both are working, I'd say, three-quarters time, seven-eighths time. I have a big hole in the middle of my afternoon, and if people get sick or whatever, I'm on it. But, but he does the morning and the night, um, and he really did that to help me have the time to write it.
0: So what I'm hearing is you have a partner in crime who's exactly. as committed as you are.
1: Well, I I just heard what you said about Tim and he earned his trip to Vegas. Um, (laughs) My husband does go to L.A. once once uh, once a month for about a week. So I I got my Tim vacation coming, too. But you bet you bet without him here. Right. If I was taking on the he is the breadwinner in our family. And if I was taking on, you know, my, quote unquote, fair share as the non breadwinner um, of the home work, Never would have happened. I needed him to go above and beyond to help me do this. Right. And and what does it mean to go above and beyond? It
0: means presence. It's not just having the money, right? So you have a partner who might be financially supporting the family, but sometimes you need him or her to also be physically there. Case in point, yesterday we had a uh, last-minute um, situation where we didn't have childcare. We learned early in the morning. And, of course, like that's like the worst time to find out you don't have child yeah. care. It's yep. like as yeah, you're about morning. to like get in nope. the shower to get your day started. Yep. So we had to kind of re-strategize the day. I had to cancel a lot of appointments. You know, my husband is – Too nice sometimes, and he's like, "Oh, I'll just not work today." I'm like, "Well, how's that going to look for you at work?" You know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's like, "Well, I don't really do. I have another choice." I'm like, "Yes, I'll push back my appointments till after three o'clock. If you want to work from now until three, and then I will pick up and I'll work from three to six or whatever. I don't have the crazy day. I sort of feel, and I was thinking about this yesterday. Like as mom and as breadwinner, sometimes I feel like I have to care more." About other people than they care about themselves sometimes, you know? Because I was like, this is gonna come back to haunt us if Tim is not yep. at work, <laughs> you know, today and tomorrow, and who knows for mm-hmm. how long this childcare issue is going, not gonna resolve itself. Anyway, so th- thank you for sharing that. And, and, th- and I, I know Aaron well, and he's a, a great dad and a great partner.
1: Yeah. And I, if I may share one other thing, on the yes. weekends, you asked me about sleep. I'm hardcore about sleep. Erin and I, we are not in bed any later than 10. Usually at like 9, 9.30, we're wrapping things up so we yeah. can get our full eight hours. Um, everyone's got blackout shades, especially this time of year with the spring birds and sunlight <laughs> before the yes. trees sleep in. And weekends, I'm offline. I don't bring my phone around with me. I'm, oh. I'm just focused on my kids. So I, I try to be where I am.
0: Wow. Work, well, I'm that working. explains why you never get back to me on a Sunday. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, it's okay. By the way, listeners, Allison has four children. And so ranging from ages now, what, three and a half, almost, almost the same four, as your son. right, till like uh, 14, 15.
1: Uh, oh, girl, almost 17. What? Yeah, Dude, you yeah, just got- had her bat mitzvah, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a four-year-old, two five-year-old twins, and my stepdaughter is less than half a year away from becoming, ouch,
0: 17. What What time is flying? Oh, no. Okay. Before we let time completely go by, <laughs> let's address our listeners' questions today. And I picked ones that were, in some cases, career-oriented because I know that's your jam mm-hmm. or life strategy-oriented. Mm-hmm. So Alicia wants to know how I have... Adopted an abundance mindset. She said that there was a particular episode she loved on the show where a guest, in fact, had a "quote unquote" there's more where that came from mantra. And I remember that it was a uh, Brittany Castro, a certified financial professional. Brittany's great, and she said that was a real light bulb moment for me. So, any tips for shifting into an abundance mindset mindset around money?
1: Well, I I was so happy to get this question because I literally talk about shifting to an abundance mindset in the book. Um, There's a chapter called frameworks that elevate your thinking, and this is one of them. Um, And I have a specific exercise because my book is all about taking action, doing exercises. Um, So so the most important thing about an abundance mindset is to remember it's a mindset. And if it's the way your mind looks at things, it's 100 percent within your control. So how do we ask you the right questions to shift your mindset, right? If it's raining, you could say, oh my God, it's terrible that it's raining. Or I can ask you the right questions to make you really happy that it's raining. So how do you do that to yourself? So what I said was, what I would say to her is, huh, what would it need to shift your thinking, right? Is she, does she just have a lot of debt? And if she didn't have the debt, would that help her thinking? Okay, cool. So let's not look for the absence of something. Let's look for the presence of something else. On a, scale of one, you know, on a scale of scarcity to abundance, where are you? Let's say she's a three on a scale of one to 10. She's three more towards scarcity. So the question would be, how do we shift you to a five? What would be the things you need to have to shift towards a five? And then we can either go after having those things to incrementally move her towards it or we could just talk about the framework, right? And how she could look more optimistically and less pessimistically. But but remembering that this is your choice, right? Your attitude is your choice. How you show up for your life is your choice. So your mindset is your choice.
0: Beautifully said. And I will add to that that writing down what you are grateful for, doing a gratitude journal, Uh, you know, on the go once a day. It's a good reminder of what is working in your life, what you are grateful for. And like Alison was saying, will slowly but surely just move your mind to a, you know, a happier, better, more positive thinking place. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I've wrote about this for Oprah Magazine, just how gratitude mm-hmm. can not only create an abundance mindset, but it can also help you save money because you aren't stuck on thinking about the things that you don't have mm-hmm. and rather the things that you do have. And, and, and that just, you know, it's really, like you said, it's just about your choices that you make with how you perceive things and how you see things. So thank you for listening, Alicia. And uh, great question. So now Madison Allison is wondering about a career shift. And here's her question. She says, I'm a recent college grad with a major in accounting and a minor in finance and economics. Good for you, Madison. That yeah. That's amazing. I, I majored in finance in college too. Could never have done accounting. I would, Well, oh my <laughs> gosh, I would have flunked out of accounting. She says, I also love to write. And I've been thinking about starting a blog or even podcasting about money, but I feel like so many people are already doing it, and me included. Um, She says, I don't know if it would just be a waste of time. I'd love to get your opinion on this. I don't think it would be a waste of time at all as long as she's doing what she wants to do because she's super excited about it. She feels Mm -hmm. she's going to be able to contribute something unique. Uh, you know, look, podcasting is seems crowded, maybe because you're a consumer of podcasts, and there's only so much time in the day for you to listen to everything. But compared to blogs, it's minuscule. It's a minuscule fraction of blogs. there are like millions of blogs out there. There's thousands of podcasts mm-hmm. just to put things in perspective now, every day, there's a new podcast coming out, and yes, that's going to perhaps compete with something that already exists. But something that I've learned about. Anything that you start, you want to start something that you can see it through. That you're not just trying to do it to become successful in a month or in six months, but that in three years you'll still be doing nice. it and growing and, and and enjoying it. Um so find your medium, whether that's podcasting or writing or an Instagram page with beautiful photos uh, or YouTube, you know, whatever that is, start somewhere that you feel is your sort of where your best natural talents lie that you feel is is a great medium for you to express your opinions and your thoughts um to share and engage the way that you want to and that you can really sustain it because what is ultimately going to be a measure of your success is not just how quickly you get to be successful but how long you can sustain that momentum and build and build and build um so uh it's great that she has this mindset. I love that she's kind of thinking about ways to leverage her creative desires. I was sort of – I relate a lot to Madison because I was a finance major in college, but really my heart was in media, communications. You know, I was a theater junkie. I loved performing. I loved writing. And so how could I marry these two things? Mm-hmm. And here we are. It's
1: possible. <laughs> You know, Farnoosh, I heard you saying two different things, right? Like, heck, try it and then sustain it. You know, I had a a podcast last year and I kind of said, ah, let me give it a season. I'm going to give it 13 episodes and see what I think, right? So you might want to consider a pilot approach to this. Like, I'm going to pilot this blog for a certain amount of time. I mean, Farnoosh, from what I just heard you said, I think she might want to try a little video on Snapchat because that seems to be (laughs) what's coming next. Like blogs were 15 years ago, podcasts, you know, picked up five years ago. So kind of why don't you leap forward to thinking about what's next Um, and what's your bigger goal? Do you want to communicate like like what's your what's your purpose? Why do you want to do it? Do you want to do it because you want to play? that's cool. Have it as a hobby. It doesn't need to, you know, make money. But, um, with things like this, I always encourage my clients to try it. Don't, don't miss out on it. Number one, figure out what your bigger goal is. Do you want to have a media presence? Okay, cool. Then find maybe the next media. Uh, so you could be a leader in a smaller pond, just like a podcast is smaller than blogging what's coming next? Number one. Number two, what do you want it for? What's your actual goal with this? And uh, Farnish, as you know, on the first page of the book, I say, what's your goal? Pick mm-hmm. up a copy of my book, write this down, let this book help you take this to the next place. This might not, not actually be the right thing. Podcasting or blogging might not be your thing, but uh, communicating in, a, in an innovative medium may be. So let's use the book to figure it out. Um, and then, yeah, I totally agree with you about sustaining it, but she's not there yet, right? She's no. just trying. She's just playing with different media. So you might be take the next year to play in two different media and or three different media and pick one.
0: Yeah. And just to clarify, because I think you were right about Allison saying like experiment. So my intention in saying find the medium that you can try to sustain mm-hmm. it is not so that you have to feel like you have to force it or you have to feel like I can't quit. Certainly you might arrive at a point where you're like, "Oh, this was not for me or I'm not enjoying this anymore." And that's fine, but you know, as you're thinking about what to pursue first, think about where would I potentially have the most fun and mm-hmm. sort of also, you know, makes the most sense for me in terms of what I'm capable of doing. Like I didn't start a video series. I started a podcast because I just couldn't imagine the production of quality, I knew I wanted to do this every day. I can't do a video every day. I mean I guess I could but I would have a much crazier life uh, mm-hmm. with and more people involved too and I wanted to just kind of streamline it. So thinking about those things I think is a great way to get a launch uh, going and um, and make sure that you are feeling fulfilled along the way. Okay, Zev has a question, which is P.S. one of uh, the names of your twin boys. And I, when I saw this question, I was like, I don't even know what his question is, but we're at, we're going to answer it because his name is Zev. <laughs> and Zev also asked this question on Instagram, where you guys know I love in engaging. I'm constantly on Instagram now. I've uh, I'm a little late to the party, but people have been direct messaging me there with their questions and i've been responding and this is a question lifted from instagram ellison he says that he's currently thinking about switching careers from architecture to the tech world there's so much that he can do in the tech space and he um, specifically wants to work with software for 3d modeling very cool He has three years of experience in architecture. So his question is about salary. Like how does he measure his worth, his value, his contribution in this new field given that, you know, he is making a transition and a pivot. He's got obviously some applicable skills but doesn't have the necessary like sort of hands-on experience in the field, but it's also a new field. Like who has 3D modeling experience? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I feel like certainly some people do, but a lot of people might be new to this. And so he's not alone, I suspect.
1: Yeah. So uh, 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 Zev has his three years of experience and he's already talking about negotiating salary in a new field. And I would say, dude, long-term approach here. First of all, what do people make in this new field? What do people make in the first few years? What do people make in five years, 10 years, 20 years? Like we got to take a real long-term approach because you might take a salary hit now because you're completely restarting in a new industry, but you're taking a salary hit about three years. Like that's, that's a good gap. So let's say you make 40 an hour now and you go back to making 30 an hour. Okay, because in five years, you can make substantially more. So don't worry about the negotiation. Now, you just need to get a job in your new field, right? And then kill it, deliver over deliver, be exceptional. The salary bumps will come with your performance. Right now, you just need to be invited into the party. So worry about getting that job before you worry about your short term salary. It's a long term game you need to play. I like that long term game, Allison. When your
0: clients come to you for your coaching practice, what is usually the big problem <laughs> um, underlying? Like, what's the underpinning big problem? I mean, many, many times it come to you at a crossroads, like they're struggling in various aspects of their lives, careers. But like, what is really the issue?
1: Well, that's a that's a central question of coaching. Um, I believe coaches believe. The client has the answer to their questions. My job is to ask them interesting questions. that get to their own deeper thoughts. The central problem is, for whatever reason, they have talked themselves out of what they know to be true. A career they want to have, a partner they want to have, a lifestyle they want to have. They come in saying, it's just not going to be possible. You want to talk about a, a mindset, right? So the central problem is shift in mindset. And after that first session, I'm listening. I'm believing them. I'm thinking it's possible because I've never heard anything said in my office that is not possible. And I mean, you know, my people, my clients go on to teach at Harvard and uh, start new companies and find new jobs in two months as, uh, you know, submarine engineers. Like they do crazy things. (laughs) They're performers and artists and writers um, and entrepreneurs. And so I haven't heard anything yet that I don't believe is possible. And I think they come because they they want to know if they're totally crazy or if this might be a good idea. And in most cases, I just let them talk it through until they realize it is possible. They, they come for support and uh, someone who believes in their vision as much as they do. I love that.
0: OK, Farm on Instagram says, oh, you're going to love this question, I think, because it's kind of in your wheelhouse with what you were doing in your past career. She's starting an artisanal food business. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty cool. She quit her job six months ago to focus on it. Her husband and she are living paycheck to paycheck because they're just kind of dependent on her husband's income stream at the moment. And she knows, she's heard, and she believes that in order to grow her business, she needs to, quote unquote, spend money to make money. So, what are our thoughts on taking her business? Oh, sorry. So, what are our thoughts on taking a business loan? Because she's going to have to finance this. She doesn't have the cash. Uh, versus angel investors. She says, I don't like the idea of being dependent on others, but I'm beginning to see that I need some sort of investment to be able to grow and expand. I'm weary of taking on early stage investment, especially for like a small business. Um, Totally,
1: totally. I just
0: feel like what else can she be doing that doesn't really, it's not really capital intense, intensive, but but it's still progress and moving forward. So with respect to like the research and the net, Working and the uh, the framing of the business—that's all kind of the creative stuff and the mm. the planning stuff that doesn't really require like buying equipment or you know and you and these days you know you can hire for cheap like someone to just put up like a website, but maybe she's not even there yet. So I mean, I'm sure you've had similar questions come up in your practice where people want to start a business and they maybe
1: are cash strapped what what do you suggest well that's a really important question um and i i i was cringing a little bit when i read it because i was like ah she quit her job 6 months ago ooh they're in a lot of pressure and now she's really re- realizing she needs money mm-hmm. like sh- my thumb, like hang on press pause a little bit like let's <laughs> reset so what's the vision what's the structure what's the business plan How much do you need to invest now? How much will you need to invest over the next few years? When do you expect to see a return? I have a lot of clients who come to me wanting to start businesses, and it's the first question I ask. How much are you ready to invest in the business? Well, I I need the business to pay me. Then you're not starting a business, because I don't think in the first year, most businesses a return when i started coaching i gave away coaching sessions for free yes i paid for an office yes i had to get a logo and a website and all those big expenses to attract people to me but you bet i gave it away for free because i had to start my business and that's that was my model so i'm a little concerned that she hasn't been working or she's been starting this business for six months and is now realizing so i would press pause and reset I do have a client who did something like this and wanted to you know, leave her waitressing job so that she could work on her company full time. And six months in, she realized she needed an, another six months of planning before she could really quit her day job. So she needed to shift to a less demanding day job, which she did. She found a lucrative um, day job teaching English as a second language to people in Asia. It worked. It was just as much as waitressing, but the timing was better and it wasn't as hard on her body because she was a singer. So Is there something that you can do to earn a little money now to stem the tide? Like you, Farnoosh, let's avoid taking on investment. I'm a little concerned that this is already off to a shaky start without a strong plan. So I just want to push back on you. Get a little more planning. Get a little more structure. Figure out uh, what's realistic for your business before you take on someone else's money.
0: Plus, if I were... Approach to invest in someone's business. Let's say a family member or a friend or a colleague was like, Hey, I'm starting this artisanal food business. Will you mm. give me money? You better believe the first question I'm going to ask is How much mm-hmm. skin in the game do you have? Like, you what have mm-hmm. you put from your bank account in your assets? into this and, you know, what is this money going to be for to move the needle? And it better be a very specific ask. And so I think that, and I, and I explained this to her on Instagram, like all that we talked about, you know, I'm a little concerned about this. It's a little too early to be asking for money and Mm -hmm. investors want to know that you have yourself invested quite a bit before, because that's going to make them more confident that you're serious. And, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. So if you can find a job to that extent, that it's a job where, uh, you can at least work part time, make some money to build a nest egg to put pour back into this business. Mm-hmm. I think will uh, also give you um, just a more relaxed mindset around this. It sounds like she's working out of scarcity. You know, like she's. Mm. You know, it's like when you graduate from college and you have all these student loans, and so you just take the job because it's a job and it pays. And Mm -hmm. I feel like if you were to not have some money to play with to throw at this business that's yours, Mm -hmm. um, and you're Mm -hmm. just you're just gonna be quick, and instead rather taking money from others, like you'll just take the money, and you're gonna have to pay that back. I mean, you don't have to, but you know, there's that risk too that you're gonna take money too quickly, too hastily without a plan, and. Then you're going to spend it, and then you can't return it. Um, and those are relationships that you know will be burned as a result. So there's a lot of risk in taking money when you're not ready and not really able to um, to to create an ROI sooner than later. Investors want their money back
1: <laughs>
0: sooner than later. But you know, all of this said, I really love where. She's moving and the the shift and it's really brave that she quit her job. That's – that takes a lot of gusto. So Mahfam, thank you for sharing this part of your journey with us and we hope that, you know, we've been encouraging. (laughs) All right, Allison, you know – I was skimming through your book. I have to say, I haven't finished it yet because I just got it yesterday. And, you know, I've always been under the understanding that that when it comes to life coaching versus psychiatry or psychology, there's not a lot of emphasis on your past. Like it's very forward moving. It's very action driven. And correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, but there is a section in your book that's about reflecting on your past too. So, mm. so how do you do that in a way that doesn't kind of
1: keep you in the past? Great question! Wow, awesome! I've never been asked that before, Farnish. That's really cool. Um, so, I what I like to say the difference between therapy and um, coaching is therapy gets you to baseline. If things aren't quite right or something's not working for you, therapy gets you to a, a healthier place, a, a better, a better the place you want to be. Coaching takes you from baseline to uh, a. a, a, a stronger place, (laughs) a more ambitious place, a goal. If, if you're I, I sometimes see clients who are also seeing therapists and that's great because they can provide tune ups and, and lots of advantages for mental health. But coaching is like you're going to you've got work to do. You, you've spent a lot of money to hire a coach to help you with some big ambition that you have. Um, so you have to be at baseline. Now, in terms of looking backwards, I absolutely look backwards to look forwards because I spent a lot of time um, looking for patterns of success. Right. What did you love doing when you were 10? How did you while away your hours before anyone had phones, assuming you're of a certain age? Um, What did you like to dress up as? Uh, What sports did you play? I'm not asking about childhood trauma. Nope. I'm asking about childhood success. So I'm bringing to the top of your mind your positive experiences so that you can see opportunity. Tell me about awards you won in middle school. Um, Tell me about people who made you feel really good in high school, right? That's your future network. Right. I just sold my book. I can't tell you how many of my high school friends are coming out of the woodwork to support Mm. it, right? So so when you want to make a big change in life, that's who you go back to, those very people. You don't have to start fresh. You look at the people you've accumulated, the people that you've had positive, strong, enduring relationships with. So I do a lot of back looking because that's your foundation and that's what we build on when you want to make significant change.
0: Yes. And your inspiration. What were you wanting to do when you were 10?
1: What were you doing? Like, what was your passion at 10 years old? I can't believe you're asking me this. Farnish. you're so good. Um, my my best toy when I was 10 was my typewriter. And Aww. I just wanted to write stories. Oh, yeah. I didn't play Aww. with dolls. I just wanted to, you know, I was like the narrator of the plays. I just wanted to uh, write stories, tell stories. Wow. <laughs> I wanted to be a waitress.
0: <laughs> Not really. But I did. I loved I loved like serving people, you know, whether that was like when my relatives would come into town and they'd sleep over and they'd wake up in the morning and I'd wake up even earlier and make them breakfast and I mm-hmm. would I – would, I would reorganize the living room like it was a restaurant and when they'd come down, I'd put like – had have like a host stand and I'd be like, welcome to Shea Farnoosh and I would serve them breakfast and they were like – you're crazy. Um,
1: well, I I don't know, right? I'm a career coach. I see the tie because I've been to your uh, holiday parties and events and media mixers. You're still the host. You're just not making the food anymore. And I host a podcast. Boom! You host a podcast. You host events. You're the you. You didn't want to be a waitress. You wanted to be a consummate host. Yeah. And you still and that's exactly what you are. A consummate host. I'm writing that down. <laughs> Um, well, uh, thanks for this coaching plan.
0: lesson. thanks for <laughs> thanks for this free coaching lesson. Thanks for helping us uh, help people's lives on this podcast. Thank you, Farnish. It is a
1: pleasure to speak with you every time, so I, I, I appreciate you having me on.